You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. Pastor Mike is beginning a new sermon series titled Growing God's Healthy Church, and we pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled Join the Work, Build the Bride, recorded on February the 28th, 2016. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. We exist to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. If you've been uh, coming to Harvest for any length of time, you've probably heard that sentence. We call it our motto. Sometimes we call it a mission. Sometimes we call it a vision. We don't know what to call it, but let's, let's say whatever it is, it's the center of everything we try to do, and it's big enough. It, that's not going to change either. That's not going to change. We're not going to go hire a marketing group and say, well, if you changed a your motto or slogan to something like this would be more impressive. This will never change because this is big enough for the future. Increasing the health and size of God's church everywhere is a worthy goal for our entire lives. And let me show you why. If you'd open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, we'll be in Ephesians almost exclusively today chapter 5 and then chapter 4, but let me show you in chapter 5 why increasing the health and size of God's church everywhere is a worthy goal for our church and really for your entire life. It is a worthy vision that you could stamp on your soul. It's a reason for you to get up out of bed every single day and to breathe all day long and to go to bed at night and to get up on the next day. It is. It, it, it should be the central purpose of your life. And if I'm going to make that claim, I'd better prove it. I wouldn't take my word for that if I were you. <laughs> so let's see if, if, if what I'm saying is really a value of the Scripture. Ephesians 5, verse 22 to 33. Some of you may be a little surprised where we start, but you'll see why. Wives, ladies, <laughs> submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, husbands, calling all men, love your wives as Christ loved the church, as he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. I don't know if you've noticed, I'm going to keep reading, but I hope you've noticed that the the writer of Ephesians seems to have forgotten that he's talking to husbands and how they treat their wives, because now he really seems to be talking about Jesus and how he treats the church. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of, or parts of, his body. There's a little quotation mark here. That's because Genesis is about to be quoted, the very first book of the Bible. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is the formula for marriage from the very first book of the Bible when there was only two people on the earth. God instituted marriage. It was never invented by mankind. It was never just a social arrangement. It was always the way God intended male and female to relate to one another. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. I'm saying, he says, it doesn't refer to Adam and Eve. At least not primarily. Secondarily, yes. But I'm saying it it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife. However, (laughs) I just read you a verse that you thought instituted marriage only, primarily. But I want you to know that there was a mystery going on here. That was always about Jesus and his church. However, as an application, (laughs) let each one of you love his wife as as himself and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. You see, what this text shows us, if we're paying attention, it's, it's it's not centrally about how a husband treats his wife or how a wife treats her husband. That's the application of it. It's centrally about how Jesus adores his church. To reverse that, the church exists to be the object of Jesus' greatest affection. That passage says the church exists to be the affectionate object of Jesus. So much so that he gave his life to save her. That part, he, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, there's never an excuse for an uncaring, insensitive bully of a husband. Because Christ, what did he do to rescue his church? Imagine a man is guilty of murder. And he goes before a judge and the judge says, It's time to get the noose. We're going to hang you for your crime. And he says, I know I did a crime, but instead of me, could you hang someone else? Tell you what, he runs out and he gets a little lamb. Instead of me, how about you kill this lamb? It can take all my guilt. Kill this goat, my scapegoat. It can take all my guilt. And the judge would say, no, no, you ain't getting off that easy. I can get lamb chops myself. They're not worth that much. No, you have to die. That's the situation for me and you and all sinful mankind. There is not a human being ever born on the planet except Jesus Christ himself who is without sin. So all of us stand before the judge of heaven and we have to pay for our sins against God. And that payment is our own destruction in hell. So God set up a little religious system for the Jews and they'd go get a lamb and they'd say, take this. But that was never supposed to be the end goal because a lamb's not valuable enough. Is anyone valuable? You know, if I'm standing before the judge and he says, I'm going to hang you (laughs) and the judge is God, I say, well, I'll get my mom because my mom loves me. Mom's love. She'll die in my place. You know what God would say? And you can't disagree with God. Your mom ain't good enough. Because she's a sinner. 
The whole point of the gospel is Jesus Christ came and he was the only perfect man because he is God and he took on flesh. He stood between the Father and me and you and us as sin and said, let me die for him. And God said, okay, that is worthy. If he dies for you, that is enough to satisfy my wrath, to satisfy justice, to pay for your sins. But why would he do that? Because he loves his bride. He loves us. As a side note, it's a lot of pressure on a husband. It doesn't mean how nasty your wife is. You're supposed to love her. And men tend to be just as bad as their wives. But that's a side note. The point is, before I go any further, the way you become a member of the church is not by taking a membership class, not by showing up on Sundays, not by getting a group of people to tell you you're a member. Oh yeah, that is all the external things that an individual humans need to figure out who's in and who's out. But really, the way you become a part of Jesus' bride is you've got to admit your sin, repent of it, and believe in Jesus Christ and trust in nothing else. So that when you die, you have no other hope except Christ died for worthless sinners like you. If you won't start there, you don't get heaven. So, the church exists to be Jesus' object of affection, so much so that he gave his life for her. And then he made her a, a part of him if you will. God set marriage. This is your first note on your map. God set marriage into the formation of humanity in order to foreshadow the consummation of history. When marriage would be the pattern of His eternal relationship with mankind, or at least a portion of mankind, the church. Not all human beings are going to be forever with God in heaven. But a portion will be, and they're called the gathering, or the church, or the assembly. So when God invented marriage, it was to be a teaching aid, a visual aid, that was supposed to permeate all societies at all time. Every time you see a man and a woman come together in marriage, that was supposed to be a visual aid aid of Jesus and his church. The church, therefore, is the most important thing on the earth. And I would challenge you, with the exception of God himself, for you to think in your mind from the scripture of anything else on the planet that's more important to God than the church. Can't think of it, can you? If you do come up with something, you're wrong. It's the most important thing on the earth because Jesus values it the most. And if Jesus values it the most, then it's the most important thing. Right? If you walk into a jewelry shop, how do you know what the most important product in that place is? It's the one with the highest price tag. Of nothing else on the earth does Jesus say, I will shed my blood to buy her. That's the highest price tag is the church. So, follow this. The church ultimately exists. Think about this. Not to do something, but to be something. Ask a thousand pastors, 
thousand Christians. What's the church exist for? You'll come up with all kinds of answers. Most of them, if you're evangelical, will be to reach the world for Christ. That's just not, that is true, but that's not the primary reason they exist. They exist to be something, not to do something. That's like saying a bride preparing for a wedding exists to get a wedding dress and a wedding cake and to get the the guest list and the invitations out on time and to get her bridesmaids ready and to get her groom in shape so he wears something decent that matches her clothes. That's why she exists. That's not why she exists. That's what she does. She exists to be the beautiful bride and object of affection of the husband. That's, That's the whole point. Church isn't here to do something, it's here to be something. Someone once asked me, what is, what's the church exist for? I said, exist to be loved by God. But God is still building his church. To stay with the metaphor, the wedding hasn't come yet. That's the culmination of history. The wedding isn't here yet, so the bride is still making herself ready. She's still getting ready. <laughs> That means the church is not yet complete. The church, by the way, has two main expressions and several others, but two main ones. One is we call the invisible or the universal. Invisible church. Catholic with a little c, not big c. It means universal. That means every believer from all times and all places. But the visible expression is always the local church. And we're not ready yet. But one day we will be ready. Look back at your text. Does it not say this? That he will present the church to himself in splendor. Jesus will present the church to himself in, in splendor. He has not yet presented the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. He hasn't done that yet, but he will do that. That's the goal. That's human history. That's why everything exists. That's why elections take place. That's why there are wars. That's why babies are born. That's why everything, that's why everything on earth, that's why you go to high school, why you go to college, why you, you might say, well, that's not why I do it. That's because you're out of line with God, because that's why God does it. That's why increasing the health and size of God's church everywhere is a vision worthy of your soul, of your life. I can't think of anything else you should dedicate your life to first, because it's the one thing that God dedicates history to. Hey, when all said and done, guess what club lasts? None. Guess what family lasts? Zero. Guess what nation lasts? None of them. Guess what university will be there? None. Football team? Penn State will be... But besides them, besides them, got to have an honorary football team. Just the church. So the day of presentation is not here. The bride, that means we're a work in progress. That kind of encourages me. Because when I get up in the morning, I feel like a work in progress. How about you? I'm so glad that I'm still a work. So what's our preparation manual? You know, if if a woman's getting married, first, (laughs) this is such a money-sucking machine known as getting married. And they find a million little ways. And one of the ways is they sell you books. As, they're like 100-pound magazines. 
that say bride. And there's not just one. There's lots of them. And you got to look at them all to get the right pictures of the right dresses and the flowers. I mean, one won't do. You got to get it right. Now you got Google. Which, which side of the church do the people walk in on? What gifts do I got? We got to get this all right. Got to get the manual right. What's our manual? Our whole manual for bridal preparation is the Bible. That's why the Bible. To get the bride ready. Paul sums up our part in preparing the bride in Ephesians 4. And let's spend the rest of our time there. So go back a chapter to Ephesians 4. Jump into verse 11. We're just going to look at a couple of verses here. This is big picture stuff. And Paul is going to give us big picture stuff in Ephesians 4. Verse 11. And he, that would be God, gave the apostles. So there's a gift. What's the gift? Apostles, prophets, evangelists. The shepherds and teachers, which I think are one thing, that's your elders who teach and manage the church, um, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So why do church leaders exist? You have the 12 apostles, you have the prophets, you have the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why do all these leaders exist? For their own sake? No. To equip the saints. Who are the saints? Every believer is a saint. Every believer is a saint. It just means holy ones. You say, well, I ain't holy. Well, if you're in Christ, you are, because he made you holy through his blood. And don't insult his blood and say it didn't work. So you're holy. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Leaders exist for this purpose. Boy, and, and trying to keep on this track to fight even Christian culture. You've got to fight Christian culture all the time to get leaders to do the right thing. Church members will yell at leaders to get them to do what they want them to do. Church leaders will yell at each other. and They'll come up with all these crazy ideas. It's a very simple thing. Equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So leaders are to equip. I don't often quote the dictionary because the dictionary is not authoritative. It is a reflection of the usage of words. Very often I'll hear sermons, and especially from younger preachers, and they quote the dictionary. And I'm always thinking, that's not authoritative. Try quoting the Bible. However, I'm going to do it myself. Because I was thinking, to equip. Let's put, put a little more flesh on that. We all know what it means, but let's hear it longer version. So here's a longer version from dictionary.com, that great authority. To equip means to furnish or provide with whatever is needed for use in any undertaking. I also read Merriam-Webster and some other one. They're all about the same. To furnish or provide with whatever is needed for use for any undertaking. Well, our undertaking is what? What? The building up the body of Christ. That's what it says. That's the end of 411. That's the undertaking. The building of the body of Christ. Building the church is the undertaking. Who is supposed to do the building? You may say, well, all the leaders. Wrong! No. They're supposed to equip you to do it. It's your job. You know, many people, participation in church is very, they don't do much of anything but show up and warm a seat. And not for very long. Either. So you're not doing your job. 
And you can say, well, leader, you're not equipping us. Well, I guess we got to work together then, don't we? You know, the, the ministry of the church is the building up of the body of Christ. That's what the phrase is. Well, the body of Christ is the church. So the ministry of the church is the building up of the church. Follow? You with me? There's some people who walk away from church and say, I can do more for Christ outside of an organized institution. Look, as messy as organized institutions are, and they are because they're just like your messy family, it's worth your time, but it ain't easy, is it? You can't walk away from the family and build the family. You can't walk away from the church and build the church because the goal is the building up of the body. A, a very often quoted man who's now in heaven William Temple, with the best of hearts, said, the church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. And I say William Temple is wrong. You can quote that all you want. It sounds great. Church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. But that really isn't true at all. Because he used the word primarily. The church is an institution that may benefit people who aren't its members, But not for long, because people ultimately who aren't its members will face God, who's the holy judge, and they will have to answer for their deeds. They all will come up short, and they will all sent to hell as punishment for their sin. So the church doesn't benefit them at all. It only benefits its members or its potential members. (laughs) So they may be, I guess what we could say is the church is the institution that benefits also for its members who aren't yet part of it. Now, poor William Temple's up there saying, you know what I meant, quit picking over my words. And he'll probably slap me for saying I get to heaven. (laughs) But I think we need to be precise about important matters. The church primarily exists for the benefit of itself. Because the goal is building it up so that Jesus can present a bride to himself without spot and wrinkle that he can adore for eternity. So the leader's job equals equipping members to build the church. So the member's job is to build it. When I said you got to fight against Christian cultures, perhaps it'll work if I show you it in the negative. What the leader's job is not is, one, it's not to work, it's not to elevate church leadership to chaplaincy, care. (laughs) You know, the the central focus of the work of the church is not to hire a guy... I've heard it, if I've heard it once, I've heard it five times, and probably a dozen, but I don't want to exaggerate too much here. I've heard people say, you get a pastor, well, pastor comes to a church, say there's a hundred people in it. Well, pastor, way I say it, you should have time to visit every home in this church four times every year. And there's an expectation, you better do it. Well, if the goal is to constantly have a friendly face to eat your cake, then that's how you should do it. But that won't equip you for service. Chaplaincy is important because it's a comfort ministry. People, I hurt, you hurt, I need chaplaincy, I need you to love me, I need, you need me, especially when I'm hurting. But sometimes, you want to know how a church is going to die? Here's one way you can know. They only view their leaders as spiritual comforters. That will fail because people need more than comfort to be equipped. And hopefully you only need comfort sometime. Another way to look at what the church's leaders 
job is not. It's not the work of church leaders to entertain a passive audience. We'll sit and listen and you make me feel a tingle. (laughs) I feel like he didn't feed me this week. I didn't feel nothing. Well, pastors do their job, but, but if you set up a system where the whole thing is, let's entertain you. Well, you know, uh, Tony Evans once said that a, that a church is like a football game very often, where you got 22 people working really hard while their pastor, the coach, tells them what to do, and you got 10,000 people in the stands just cheering them on. That's often true. You have a church, you got a pastor, and you got some people who love Jesus and get the vision of building the church, and most people just go, until something hurts, they go, wow, he didn't visit me enough. (laughs) Here's the trick. I skipped church for a month, and no one noticed I was gone. They don't love people there. Got me. Didn't see you on a Sunday for four weeks, so I don't love you. Well, if you're a spectator, do you see what I'm getting at? Think about the big picture. The work, and this is in your map, of every single member is to do his or her part in building the church. That's your work. I'm telling you it's your work right now. That's my job. It's also my job to equip you. If you're hurting, yes, comfort you and help you. If you're sinning, to rebuke you so you can get back on track. If you need trained, to train you. If you need informed, to teach you. But my job is to get you to do the work. And if you don't define yourself as a worker, you're going to be a failure in what God has called you to do. And if I don't define my task as getting you to do it, I'm a failure. In other words, we exist to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. That's why you breathe oxygen if you're a Christian. You say, no, it's not. It's to do my job. It's your job. Your job... Hopefully, it's partly a discipleship matter. It's God's provision for you and your family, and it gives you money so you can care for yourself, so someone else doesn't have to care for you, so you can be generous with the church and push the mission out and help the poor. That's why you have a job, and also you're a missionary there. That's why. You have a job so you can build a church. That's why you breathe. That's why you have a family. If you're a Christian, and it's a lovely painting when you think about it, church, it is envisioned, a church full of workers, God's children working together in God's field, building or building his house, and he is commissioning us, which means he works with us. Back to Ephesians 4. Look at verse 15 and 16. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, verse 15 of Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Makes the body grow. So that it builds itself up in love. Man, here's how God's Holy Spirit works. I'm driving into church early this morning and and I'm listening to a sermon on, on, on Word FM from the pastor of Pittsburgh Baptist. I don't know his name, so forgive me, pastor of Pittsburgh Baptist, if anyone tells him that we up here in Armstrong County listen to him, but, or Indiana County, or is Freeport, what, what county are you in, Freeport? Is that still Armstrong? Okay. 
He said this. I loved it. I love what he said. He said, it just so happened to be this subject. It just so happened, right? You know how the Holy Spirit works things out that I heard this. He said, he likened church members to bodybuilders, right? Bodybuilders try to build themselves up in strength. But he just added the word Christ in front of it. He said, you're Christ bodybuilders. I'm like, I like that. Each part working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. Okay, so we have another metaphor here. This isn't a metaphor of a bride. This is a metaphor of a body. Paul used it before in Ephesians 5 when he said he's the head of the body, but here he, he, he's developing it a little more. He says, we are all part of one human body. That's the metaphor, all right? Now, whether you're an elbow or whether you're the skin under the cheek, I don't know what you are. You could be an ear. Someone has to be the armpit. <laughs> I'll do it. Somebody's got to do it, but we're all one body, right? And then in this picture, Jesus is the head. Obviously, if he's the head, he's the leader. He's the control center. He's the brain. He tells us what to do. Everything comes back to him. But notice another thing. If we're a body, that means there's not to be any separation of parts. Right? If you, if you have a dislocated shoulder, it's really hard. Even though you're still connected, it's hard for the arm to do its job. So you've got to fix a dislocated shoulder so the arm can do its job. We're all connected. It also means if the sh- shoulder gets dislocated, the arm can't say, well, I don't care. I'm not a shoulder. That's his problem. Another thing, if we're a body, is that the health of the body, get this, the health of the body, one more time, the health of the body is of utmost important importance to the head of the body. You don't believe it? Drop, drop a huge can of baked beans on your little toe. Aim. Boom. Your head will be very concerned about the health of that toe. And in the good news, Jesus is very concerned about the health of his body. And it also means, get this, the proper condition of every part matters. So every church has healing. We get messed up in this world. We all need, everybody needs healing. Everybody's messed up. Right, George Thorogood and the Delaware Destroyers are some of the best theologians on the area of the fallenness of sin. In one particular song, one particular line, when they say, everybody's funny, now you're funny too. And that's really true. Everybody's messed up. Everybody needs healing. You need proper conditioning. Everyone needs strengthening. Everybody. But you better get it or you're going to hurt the whole body. Let's take a closer look at this reality. Looking at the, the phrases in the text. He starts in 15, doesn't start where I start. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And then look at this phrase. From whom the whole body joined together. From whom the whole body is joined. From whom? From Christ. The whole body is joined together from Christ. That means Jesus places every person in the body. That means you are important. You matter. And I don't care who you are. If you love Jesus, you matter. Jesus chose you and said, I want you in my body. And you might have been like, they don't even pick me for kickball, Jesus. You sure you got the right girl? God says, yep. 
You matter. Everybody matters. Because we're all connected to him. We're from him. Came all the parts. Let's go to the next phrase. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, look at this phrase, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Joined and we are joined. You may not want it to be joined with me. That's okay. There are other churches. <laughs> Find a good, healthy church. Join with that guy if you think I'm a little too weird for you. But you're going to have to join with someone. And I got bad news for you. There's weirdos everywhere. And if you're honest, you're one of them. So you might as well pick a group. Pick a church and love it. Because you're going to join. Each person is connected to the other. That means we are stuck with one another, and that's why there's so much talk about love. When we're all stuck together, there's going to be friction. There's going to be. But we have a, a, a God who gives us the way of love. Jesus prayed this in John 17, still on the subject of us being stuck together. He prayed for us. He said, I don't ask for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Here's God. Jesus is actually praying for us in 2000 and whatever year it is. You guys know. I forgot for a second. <laughs> Too much work to use brain cells over there. They, that they may all be one. His prayer for us is unity. They're all stuck together. Just as Father, you Father are in me, I in you, that they also may be in us so that the whole world may believe that you sent me. There's a way of saying to the world that Jesus is here that depends on our loving one another and sticking together. Okay, in our map, Jesus, your master and mine, commands and intends for us to love as ones connected to each other. Like the hand is connected to the wrist. Why does that make a difference? Why does it make a difference that we're connected? Well, because I'm connected. If I'm, a, if I'm this finger and you're this eye, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> we're connected. In fact, I might wipe a little stuff out of there. And you might look and say, hey, you're about to be bit by a spider. And I'll get some of you other guys and knock the spider off. I could go forever on that metaphor. Let's just get back to the text where it gets weird. Let's look at our passage again. Look at the next phrase. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint from which it is equipped. Look at this. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Why is he yelling? Because I hit my main point. It's so exciting. Makes the body grow so that it may build up itself in love. In other words, you're... If you are a part, you're a part of a body, okay, in this metaphor, and if you're working properly, if you're working the way God intends you to work, right, Ephesians 2.10, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared before him that you should walk in them. If you're doing that, if you're working the way he intends, the result will be you will increase the health and size of God's church. There it is. That's what you're supposed to do. That's why it's not just a cute motto that we throw out there. We believe it's our mission. It's our vision. It's our motto. It's our slogan. I don't care what word you want to put on it. 
what we do, dang it. <laughs> Say it that way. It's like a Geico commercial. I just came up with a Geico commercial. <laughs> the church increasing the health and size of itself. It's what they do. Don't skip the last two words there, in love. That's the proper way. We speak the truth in love, we build up in love. That in love is a pretty important phrase. Pretty important phrase. Let me ask you this at this juncture. Why are you a part of Harvest Community Church? Now, I know in this room we have some people who are members. In other words, you've submitted to what the leaders say we want to do to recognize who's in and who's out. You've gone through the membership class. You may be, say, well, I ain't, but my heart's here. I still love this church. I just haven't got time to do that yet. I'll schedule it sometime, but I'm just as much a part. And by the way, that, that's wonderful. I think it's a good thing. Or you may be a spectator, or you may be dragged here by parents or spouse or children. <laughs> Why are you here? Is it for this reason, so that you can grow to work properly to make this body grow, or is it for another reason? Okay, if it's for another reason, to be very clear, if it's for any other reason than to make this body grow in health and size, you need to correct yourself. I can't do that for you. I'm going to show it to you in the Word. Each part, working together, for the building up of the whole in love. If you have an interpretation of that that I'm not seeing, tell me after the service and I'll correct it. But otherwise, if you're not here for the reason of building up the church, if you've got some other goal, primary goal, you can have secondary, third goals, find a boyfriend or girlfriend, it's okay. Have community, that's okay. Get free of drugs by going to the one ministry. That's okay. Those are all good. But if your primary goal is not the building up of this church, correct that today. That's what you're supposed to do. And it's my job to tell you. That's what it says. So I did. Speak the truth in love. I care. <laughs> I want you to be happy. You'll be happy if you obey a God. When you meet God in heaven, you'll be happy if you have the treasure that came from living the life He told you to live. And I'll have done my job. But I want to, I say this with mercy, because you can go to, your church your whole, go to church your whole life and no one ever tell you this. Isn't that true? You can start thinking church is about everything else. It can be about doing church on Sunday morning the right way. It can be about almost anything else. And how, it's very hard to do the right thing if you don't know why you're there. So this is a very big picture sermon. But the series ahead, we're going to have another big picture sermon or two. But we're going to focus on what does it mean to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. Recently, we have sought to evaluate, measure our church's health. We have a thing we call the VDR. Um, Vision Defining <laughs> Retreat. 
It's a problem with acronyms. You forget what they stand for. Vision Defining Retreat, where we send out all these surveys, try to get as many people to answer and, and speak into the process as possible. Then we had a huge retreat where we couldn't have everyone come because it wasn't practical. We tried to get as many as we could to come, and then they took all that data, and they added data of their own, and then manipulated and thought, not manipulated, that's not the right word, but let's say compiled the data so we could see what we had. And when we came out of that with, I think, a pretty good idea of how we're doing and a vision for where we need to go next. And there's information meetings happening now. Some have already happened. By the time you hear this at Freeport, you'll be the last one. So this sermon ends, we go right to that information meeting. So stick around. We have determined... To, to get the details, you've got to come to the information meetings. But we have determined that our focus, we want to just focus on the next two years. We thought we wanted to focus on the next five, but we can replan. But for the next two years, we want to grow locally. That's what we determined. And in fact, we have a special prayer request for God. And if you haven't yet been to the information meeting, I'm letting the cat out of the bag. First, who puts cats in bags anyway? <laughs> Where did that come from? What did that saying come from? There's somebody just shoved cats in bags, tied it up. I'm letting that cat out. <laughs> Good. <laughs> our special prayer request is we're asking God to double the number of people in our church in the next two years. And by our church, we mean all four campuses. That's our prayer request. Why this prayer request? More to come, but the short, in short, there's two reasons. One, God has equipped us to be able to reach many people. He has grown us over the last 10 years from a few hundred people in one building to almost a thousand people in four buildings to one part time secretary and a few staff and a lead pastor didn't really know what he was doing. I didn't replace that guy, so I don't know if that's an improvement or not. To not only do we have a good staff of pastors, we have a great administrative staff. We have, great, we have so many great volunteers. So many people serve. I mean, it's just, God, I'm just so thankful for what God has already done at Harvest Community Church. I could, if I die today, please know God, but if I do, I could die happy. Because of you. Because of you. But if that's so, that means we have many workers and many leaders, a decent structure, and many meeting places. Well, let's fill them up. We like to expand. We still want to reach the whole world. We, we're still open to new campuses, though we're not planning any right now. But if we can put more grapes, if we can go more grapes on the trellis you already have, that's the most efficient economical way to do it. By economical, I don't just mean finances, though that may be it. I mean it's economical. You can get out your door, go to see your people, pull them to your church. It's a very economical move there. You don't have to go across the world. You don't have to go to another town. Nothing. God's equipped us. A church starts to die at its peak, and that could be us if we turn our focus inward. We don't want to be that. Do you want to be that? I don't. I don't want to waste my life. 
We have potential to reach many more, so we should try to reach many more. But it is one man plants, another man waters, but it's only God who gives the increase. That's why it's a prayer request. (laughs) The second reason, and this one's much, I think it's very compelling, and that's the people you know who don't know Jesus need us to pray for this. Your unsaved family, your unsaved co-workers, your unsaved children, your unsaved friends, your unsaved enemies need us to pray this. What if over the next year you had the joy of seeing one person who you know right now does not know Christ come to know him and truly know him, not just pray a prayer, but walk with him? How much joy would that bring to your life? What if it was two in two years? If half the people here are active, and that's probably about right, maybe a little less, if if just those half of the people could bring a person a year, we'd double. It will create all kinds of strain on our facilities. Those are good problems, right? Strain it. Strain it, for goodness sake. Let's max out for Jesus. Because there's people out there who are supposed to be saved, and we got to go get them. Will God grant us this prayer? I hope so, but listen, I want to be very clear. He will not if we are passive. At least from my reading of the Scripture, I do not ever see God calling His people to pray for something that they do nothing to try to accomplish themselves. There's a very rare thing. Perhaps praying that it doesn't rain. (laughs) But I'm not Elijah, so let's not worry about that one. God requires His people supply the activity. He even says, look at the fields. They're ripe on the harvest. Like, yes, but the workers are few, says Jesus. So He's saying, look, the field is ripe. God wants us in there. But what's our problem? Workers are few. What should we do, God? What should we do, Jesus? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Ask him for workers. Well, if you get those workers, they're going to go into the harvest. When they go into the harvest, folks are going to hear the gospel. Many won't believe, but many will, and they're going to come in, and you're going to have growth. That's what we're supposed to pray for. That's why we're praying for it, but that means we have to work. Our activity, his power. Your activity. Okay, let me just map out the sermon series ahead and we'll call it a morning. Okay, the four, well, there's four areas we want to concentrate on. A lot of this was the result of our VDR, but really, ultimately, it was a result of what does the Bible put as our priorities, but help us focus. This sermon series um, seeks to lead us on this two-year adventure by, it, we got a title, Growing God's Healthy Church. I hope you see, I don't ever talk about the titles of series that much, but I will this time. To grow God's church is good, but if you grow it in an unhealthy manner, it's not good. So to grow God's healthy church, that's the goal. The first few sermons are going to be big picture like this one. What is a healthy church? But then we're going to have several sermons on the following four areas. Prayer in a healthy church, evangelism in a healthy church, making disciples in a healthy healthy church, and stewardship in a healthy church. Prayer, evangelism, making disciples, and stewardship. And we're going to be asking all the leaders in all our campuses 
to work towards increasing prayer in their church, evangelism, discipleship, and stewardship. So finally on our map, healthy churches know what they are and why they exist on earth. You can't be healthy if you don't. There's no bodybuilder who becomes a bodybuilder without teaching his brain about a healthy body. Which muscles need to be worked out which, on which days? What foods make you sick and which foods make you strong? How much aerobic exercise? If he doesn't learn those things, or she, a lot of chicks are like, these days. Healthy churches know what they are and why they exist on earth. Also, healthy churches pray, evangelize, make disciples, and give generously, all with an effort to build up the very bride of Christ, the church. I end with a question, who is with me? I just defined my life for the next two years to you, and I'm going to do it. Who's with me? Who'll join me in the prayer? I'm going to pray it. You might say, I don't think we should pray for growth. Oh, you ever think about numbers? That's your business. Go talk to yourself. Go to lunch, get some other gossips, and rip the church apart. Get on Facebook. What fun that is. Tell the whole world... Show them your ugliness. It's always a fun face. Show them how much you hate your own church. But for, I don't want to talk to you. I want to know who's with me. Who's going to pray that prayer and then have the guts to get out of bed and work to see it happen? You are my fellow soldiers. You I'll die with. I'll die next to and I'll die with and I'll die for. And I'll do my best not to let you down, but I will at times. And hopefully you'll pick me up. Let's do this. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.